Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Bucks have their final practice in preparation for Friday's game against the Cleveland Browns. Mike Evans will not play, and yes, Bruce Arian says he is injured. We'll tell you about that. The Rays walk it off for the third time in five days, this time beating the Seattle Mariners 7-6 on a bases-loaded wild pitch in the bottom of the ninth. They avoid the sweep. They move on to Baltimore for a series with the Orioles and then on to Houston. And we're just two days away from the start of the college football season. Florida and Miami in Orlando on Saturday. College game day is there. And that means we get to talk college football with our Times beat writer, Matt Baker, who's going to join us in just a minute to talk about the Gators, the Hurricanes, the Knowles, and USF. We've got all that, and the XFL announces its team and its logos on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, folks, if uh, you're like me, you know, you're still running the AC, the electric bill's going up and up. Mine was over $300. Here's what you need to do. If you want to start saving 90 to 95% off your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. That's right. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available, and they don't use high voltage like other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. They have a showroom that is open on weekdays. You can see their products and listen, May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and their peers. Now, there's many other solar companies out there imitating them, trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they do not subcontract for any other company in any other way. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now... You can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. All right, before we're joined by Matt here in just a minute, uh, some exciting news. Another professional football team in Tampa Bay, the XFL announcing uh, all their teams and their nicknames and their logos for that matter. And your Tampa Bay team will be the Tampa Bay Vipers, as in a snake. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this, Steve. It is a, uh, it is a, a, how do I describe it? The color scheme is green, sort of a light green on top of that. Um, and it's a V. Uh, and in, in, within the V is the shape of sort of a fang. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty interesting logo. Um, not sure about the name, but I mean, there's a lot of snakes, obviously, in Florida. Yeah, it's green and yellow, so kind of think rowdies or USF. It's similar or USF, to both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was kind of I thought I thought that was an interesting color scheme choice, knowing that the rowdies and, mm-hmm. and USF USF's a little different shades, but kind yeah. of the same color scheme. Uh, so that was a little surprising. Um, it's a simple logo mm-hmm. uh, with just the V with kind of the fangs in there, uh, right. kind of distinctive in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I feel about it just yet. I mean, you know, their their merch, so to speak, will be uh, will probably be available soon. But um, you know, as far as uh, tying it to colors that are already familiar, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the Rays switched theirs over, but 
really the lightning and the rays have very similar colors too. You know what I mean? So there is there is a little bit of mm-hmm. symmetry there. And um, but you know uh, some of the others, and, and we can talk about the vipers uh, more in a minute. But some of the other ones were interesting to me, especially uh, they they were reminiscent of other logos I had seen, particularly like in the USFL. So let's let's run through them. The Dallas Renegades. Okay, and these are all, by the way, for the most part, these are all really tough names, right? You think XFL, you know, um, Vince McMahon, these are all pretty much, you know, tough guy type names. Um, and so you have the Dallas Renegades, which for my my money looks like they took the old Tampa Bay Bandits logo and kind of just re repositioned it a little bit with different colors. Yeah, it's similar. It's not the most similar one of the logos to other logos, but true. I don't think they hid the fact that they kind of stole that. Right. And then a Houston Roughnecks, of course, the Roughnecks working on oil derricks and things like that. Its logo has like an oil well and and looks very much a different color scheme again, but a little like the old Houston Oilers. It does. Which is not by accident, right? I, I can't imagine it is. I mean, that's a you know longtime football team there. So why right. wouldn't you want to try to, I guess conjure up those images right and then you have the uh the new york guardians if you saw the preview they were like showing kind of gargoyles and, and things like this but i don't know what do you think of the guardians logo not memorable i mean it's kind of what like a a lion's head or something like that some fangs exposed yeah. um yeah gray and black with a little bit of red mm-hmm. it's okay st louis are the battle hawks i kind of like that nickname I like the Battlehawks. Yeah. The logo is just whatever, but uh, the nickname I like. But that's unique, you know, the Battlehawks. Mm-hmm. The Seattle Dragons looks like UAB to me. It's the Un- University of Alabama, Birmingham, in Seattle. <laughs> the dragon is almost identical to the, the blazer. <laughs> exactly. The Washington Defenders, I think they're going to have to pay Marvel Comics for this. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, it does <laughs> kind of look like a, a DC comic shield. <laughs> it totally. Um, yeah, it totally does. And so I, I don't know what, what the copyrights infringements will be. And then um, the one that, that fell a little shy, in my opinion, of uh, sort of the, the – like they must have – they worked really hard on Renegades, Roughnecks, Guardians, Battlehawks, Dragons, Vipers, Defenders. And then there's the Wildcats, the Los Angeles Wildcats. We're wild. We're wildcats. Is Molly McGrath coaching that team? <laughs> it's, it's Goldie Hawn <laughs> is the coach of the Wildcats, which is perfect for L.A., right? If they had named them the Cougars, then that would be another conversation. But, yeah, the Wildcats, I mean, that's what you call like, hey, we got an elementary school down the street. They need, I know, they need some kind of – they're not really going to play sports, but they need a nickname. I just call them the Wildcats. You know, It's just, okay. Are there a lot of wildcats in Los Angeles, I suppose, on the freeways? I don't know. Maybe this is a thing up in the hills, um, the Hollywood Hills. But, uh, yeah, the, the L.A. wildcats. Or law, if you think about it. It's L.A. law, L.A.W. Uh, maybe Los that's Angeles why they wildcats. did it. That might be it. They're the law. There you go. That is your XFL league. Yeah, um, I, I heard, believe and, the draft will be in October, and then mm-hmm. they start playing the week after the Super Bowl. So they'll wow, start. I mean, they got to get this thing going. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have tryouts and drafts and training camps and. Yeah, I heard Josh Bullock from uh, the Vipers, the president of the Vipers, locally on DAE this afternoon, saying that uh, the goal is to sign for each team to have a quarterback signed before the draft, and then the draft will take place in October. Mm-hmm. With, you know, they're going to start in February, and I think it's a ten-game schedule. And then uh, 
I think there's uh, two, three rounds of playoffs. So I think most of the teams make the playoffs, so there may be a couple buys for a couple teams. There's been scouts out there, guys that are on coaching staffs uh, from the XFL, have been to practice. I know Jay Hayes, his, his, uh, his brother is a head coach of one of the teams. He's been out there, the former Bucks defensive line coach, has been uh, kind of you know walking around. And obviously, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys. I mean, every team has 90 guys on their roster, so each team – is going to cut that down by about 40, right? Almost 37 players per team times 32. You can do the math. There's a lot of guys going to be out of work here in the next weekend or two. Um, so the XFL will be able to tap into, into that talent. And, you know, hopefully they, they'll, they'll have a better faith than the last league that, uh, that went out of business and couldn't pay their bills. But I think they have, you know, they've done this. I mean, Vince McMahon has done this before, um, but he has TV contracts in place with ESPN. So – you know, hopefully they'll be viable. But, I, I, I mean, I think there's room for football, um, particularly in the, in the South. And, and, you know, the when the USFL was here, they were very successful. I I just think they got to keep it in the spring. You can't, you know, what, what, what we could do a whole a whole show on what happened to the USFL and Donald Trump and, and how they tried to take it in the fall and all that. Um, but I'll be interested to see sort of what the Tampa Bay response is. I mean, they're going to play at Raymond James Stadium, right? Yeah, they're going to train and, in Plant City. Yeah, which is 30 miles north. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's probably not going to help them too much because there won't be a lot of maybe interaction with uh, with their team until they until they get to the city to play you know to play games. But if the Bucks don't win, right, and people are starved, like, that was the thing about the Tampa Bay Bandits when they came aboard years ago. And they had great owner- ownership, you know, with with Bass and of course Steve Spurrier was a head coach and. Yet Burt Reynolds was involved, and you know he showed up with Lonnie Anderson and all this, all his Hollywood friends, and you know great marketing, terrific colors, all that sort of thing. And at the time, the Bucks were so bad that, you know, in short order, the USFL team here in Tampa was going head to head and outdrawing their NFL counterparts, and so that spearheaded you know the lawsuit by the league that eventually, um, eventually ended the USFL. But uh, but but I'm curious to see just what the appetite will be, um, you know, in some of these places, uh, you know, particularly now St. Louis, of course, they lost the Rams, right? Mm-hmm. So th- they've had you know the Cardinals before that, and and the Rams have left town, so that's that's one that. But all these other cities, I, I'm I'm really surprised a little bit that, you know, these are these are all you know NFL cities, right, with the exception of St. Louis. Um, and the established NFL teams, and obviously Dallas and Houston and um, L.A., which now you know for the <laughs> for what twenty something years they couldn't have a football team. Now they got three. Um, so you know it's it's going to be interesting to see how they draw. But yeah, take a look at their uh, their colors if you get a chance, and their logos. Tell us what you think, and and uh, give us a shout here at Sports Day. Tampa Bay. All right, so we uh, we're at One Buck Place, or I guess they call it now Advent Health Care Center, um, training center, and on not on the field again today was Mike Evans, and you know he pulled up. Um, in fact, uh, Eduardo Encina actually saw him do this uh, after a catch on Sunday, and immediately grabbed his quad, uh, and was was very upset about the fact that he had this injury. Now. You know, he walked off on his own power. Um, I've seen him in the locker room just, you know, getting his stuff together and getting ready to leave after practice and things like this. Didn't seem to have any wrap on his leg. Didn't seem to be icing it. I'm sure he's getting treatment, but 
it just didn't, you know, you couldn't see concern on his face necessarily. But, which is, a, I'm sure, a wise decision, he will not play on Friday night, and that's the case with a lot of guys. But um, in Mike Evans' case, we did ask Bruce Arians, is like, is this precaution? Um, is this something, you know, you don't want to risk an injury because it's the last game the starters will play? He said, no, he's injured. So that's not what you want to hear about your, you know, thousand yard plus per year receiver that's probably the one thing you know you can do is throw the ball to Mike Evans when we are all but you know two weeks plus from the season opener so they got to hope that uh, that his wheels get better and get better quick because you know a wide receiver it's not something you can you know you can play on with one leg or one healthy leg so you have that Ronald Jones is scheduled to play and remember he uh, sort of hyperextended his knee on the opening kickoff the other night against the Miami Dolphins um, they said there was a little swelling there, but he was back in uniform, so he should play. But there's a, there's a lot of guys that are out. You know, Cameron Brait didn't practice. Uh, he's been standing around. It's been weird. He's catching balls, but he's not running. He's not doing anything. Of course, he's coming off hip surgery. I wouldn't expect him to play. In fact, if there's anybody that is just the least bit nicked up, um, you don't expect to see him out on the field. But they've got a number of injuries now where, you know, once the starters are out of there and now some of the backups are now having to start – particularly an inside linebacker, guys like Kevin Minter because Levante David is out. Um, you know, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of third and fourth stringers logging a lot of time because once they get those starters out of there, there's no one left on the roster to play these next two games. So we'll see how they spackle it together. But this should be, you know, a pretty good test for them. Uh, tomorrow, myself and Eduardo Encino will break down their matchup with the Cleveland Browns, which is the upstart team in the NFL this year. And, folks, from the people I talked to, including Bruce Arians, who remember when he said um, he was asked if he would come out of retirement. This is before the Bucks allegedly were talking to him back last November. He said he would, but only only to coach the Cleveland Browns. Well, he's a big believer in the Browns, and so is everybody else. And right now, you cannot pick up a you know a, a newspaper or go online or turn on the TV without hearing about you know Baker May, Mayfield blasting the Giants for taking Daniel Jones or Odell Beckham's interview in Sports Illustrated. And, you know, Freddie Kitchens, their new head coach, is sort of saying, so what? There's a lot of noise. It's not going to affect us on Sunday. We'll see. But uh, but the Browns are coming, and they, they like to play these preseason games pretty tough. They like, you know, with, with both first teams being out there, I think it's going to be an entertaining maybe a half of football, maybe less. Um, but when they're going at it first team on first team or good on good, as we say, it's going to be pretty interesting. All right, the Rays, uh, boy, I tell you, it looked like they were going to get swept by the Mariners, Steve. I, I, this game was back and forth, back and forth, and then the Malik's effect took place. Yeah, and, and, and this time for a good way for the, the Mariners. I mean, we usually refer yeah. to the Malik's effect as, you know, getting thrown it's out in the bases thing. or thrown to mm-hmm. the wrong base or something along those lines. But he made a great catch and then uh, had the, the triple that gave them the lead in the ninth inning. Yeah. Off of Three Amelia runs Pagan. in the ninth. Yeah. Yeah. He'd given up a solo home run, and then he gave up the two-run triple to Malik. And, right. and all of a sudden, the Rays, instead of being up 5-3 to three and winning the game, were down 6-5 to five going to the bottom of the ninth. 6-5 to five in the bottom of the ninth. And, um, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer is leading off. And Kiermeyer, up until really the last couple games, had not been swinging a very good bat. Um, he worked the count to full to 3-2. And, and I want to tell you, he crushed a 3-2 fastball to center field that was a no-doubter. It's uh, Even over the TV, it sounded loud. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge hit because, of course, you're leading off an inning. Now you're tied, you know, 6-6. Six to six. So, it, it, you know, worst-case scenario, you're going to go into extra innings. 
but you still have nobody out, you know, in, in the ninth inning. And then, of course, um, they wind up loading the bases on a couple of hits, a intentional walk to G-Man Choi. I think, you know, they, they brought in an outfielder. They had two outfielders brought an infielder in um, to try to cut off the run at the plate. Tommy Pham was up. He's been making a lot of contact and, and hitting some home runs. I think Tommy would have probably come through with, with nobody out and the bases loaded. There's a pretty good chance they're going to score either on a sack fly or something. Um, but they got a gift. They got a wild pitch, uh, and that, that's all it took. Um, and, you know, they wind up winning the game 7-6. to six. But, man, that was a big one because, you know, Seattle, not a good baseball team. They're in this stretch now still where they got the Orioles coming up in Baltimore, a team that they need to, need to win that series. And they came oh so close to getting swept by the Mariners. Yeah, and, and look, this was a game you had Charlie Morton on the mound, who's your best pitcher. And yeah. while he didn't have his best stuff, and struggled, particularly, I think it was, what, the third or fourth inning, whichever one he gave up the three runs in. Um, yeah. But he battled, but he kept you in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you take a 5-3 lead into the ninth inning when your best pitcher was starting and kept you in the game, you got to win those games. And they had their bullpen yeah. set up. Yeah, they had know? the bullpen. And Colin Poche pitched two innings really well. Nick Anderson yep. continues to impress. Although, yep. I don't know. Something must be wrong. He's given up a couple of hits in his last couple of appearances. So. <laughs> yeah, boy. One was that Karamire almost made a great catch on it. Yeah. It was sliding across. It was actually a fluke kind of looper yeah. into center field. But yeah, I, I, I kid I about you. that with Nick Anderson. He's been lights out. Um, you know, at some point, they got to pitch him in the ninth inning just to see because he's unhittable right now. Well, remember, he's a rookie. And I know he's a little older rookie, but I twenty nine year old rookie. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think they're. I, I'm speculating at this, but I I think look if Pagan continues to give up some periodic home, home runs, runs at times, which yeah. he's been susceptible to, and he did it in the ninth inning tonight. Yeah, they may do that, but I don't. I think they don't want to rush him into that role yet because look, right. the one thing the Rays do well, and whether you agree with it or disagree, that's up for debate. But they generally don't rush players into roles. That they'd rather let Nick Anderson take the seventh or eighth inning a little too long before they put him in the ninth and putting him in the ninth and and seeing him not succeed as well. Is they they tend to be very patient and not putting you in roles that you're not ready for yet. And and granted, they're still getting to know him and learn him too, so that's part of that as well. Well, he's on. He's been on fire, throwing a lot of strikes, getting ahead of hitters. Um, you know, plus fastball, of course, slider, all that. And, um, you know, has been, I mean, virtually unhittable, as you said. Finally gave up a hit. When he throws um, strikes. Yeah, he attacks hitters. He's really good. You know, and which is really what, what Alvarado and Diego Castillo have struggled with at times this year is they're, you know, they, yeah. they stop throwing strikes. Um, right. Even Emilio Pagan, I think that's one of the reasons they like him in the ninth inning, and he's given up mm-hmm. some home runs. He's done very well overall, but he throws strikes. He had two strikes on every hitter he faced, I think, uh, during the game. I mean, they, you know, even though he got hit – uh, and gave up, you know, gave up uh, some big hits, and especially, you know, the triple to Malik Smith. Two strikes on every guy. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things the Rays like is when you throw strikes. I mean, yeah, and occasionally those are going to get hit. But just like a, on the offensive side, a walk is as good as a hit. Well, walks are bad when you're pitching. You know, why give them a free pass? Make them earn it. So, you know, the Rays like strike throwers, and that's what, you know, Alvarado and Castillo have struggled with, which is why I don't think you're going to see either one of them in the closer role anytime soon, unless Pagan and Anderson and others falter, is that they're going to have to earn their way back there, but it's going to come by throwing strikes more than what they're doing now. It was a big win because you lose, you get swept at home. Their record hasn't been good at home. Seattle, not a good team. And like I said, 
they got a chance now, an opportunity to go to Baltimore, maybe sweep them or at least win that series before it gets a lot tougher, starting with their next road trip to Houston. And if my math is right, I think on Tuesday of next week, you're going to have Charlie Morton against Justin Verlander. Oh, that's going to be a tremendous matchup in Houston. <laughs> How about that? Can't wait for That'll that. That'll be, yeah, that's going to be must see TV, and he'll be he'll be pumped up for that. So, uh, so they got to take they got to take care of business, and they still are in good position right now uh, in the wild card race as well. We got some injury so updates we for have, the race uh, too. Um, so that's lots, right. actually, that's, lots that's of injury updates now. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, earlier to, earlier on, on Wednesday, uh, Yanni Chirinos is cleared to resume baseball activities. We'll start playing catch over the weekend. Glass now was throwing off the uh, in the bullpen before the game. Uh, so he was throwing pitches and got lots of uh, fist bumps and high fives afterwards. It looks like he's going to start facing hitters at the Tropper in Port Charlotte next week, I believe. Uh, he's not going on the trip. Snell's not going on the trip either. But doing well, no setback in that, so that's good. But just tonight, Brendan Lau on rehab assignment in Durham left the game with a left quadricep strain, which is unrelated to his bruised right leg, which is why he was on the disabled list. So he's coming back to St. Pete to be reevaluated. So not good news for Brendan Lau on Wednesday night. I mean, Brendan Lau, of course, an all-star, was was going to lead them in home runs, and the way he was swinging the bat, maybe even RBIs. I've not seen – you know. It was amazing. He smashed a ball, you know, off his shin essentially, um, and had such a, a terrible contusion there that it just knocked him out. And he's just now coming back or trying to come back, and then he gets he gets the quad injury. This has been a really unfortunate loss for them because you know offensively is where they have struggled. Now, you know, the good news is the last couple of days you've seen you know Kiermaier start to hit the ball. Adamas is swinging the bat a little bit better. They need Meadows to be more consistent. Fam has hit a couple home runs of late. So maybe they're all going to come out of it together, but they had all been in a slump. But Brandon Lau was that guy that could not only provide you power, but made a lot of contact. He did. He would have these these periods where he'd just miss. He'd swing and miss, but then he could get hot and he could carry you as an offense for you know two or three weeks. And um, they really missed their bat. So that's an unfortunate loss for them to uh, to have him get a setback like that. All right, so the Rays then will begin their series in Baltimore against the Orioles, and then it's on to Houston to face the Astros on this uh, road trip that is uh, also important. Boy, every game, and that's the thing that Kevin Cash mentioned, that you know they're, they're not playing their best baseball, certainly did not in this series with Seattle, but the outcome now is all that matters, right? It's every game you got to find a way. If you lose the lead, you got to come back and try to get over the top, and they were able to do that. Now they have to do the same thing with the Orioles. All right, it's my favorite time of year. Florida plays Miami and Orlando on Saturday, what they're calling Week Zero on College Football Game Day. And then a week from Friday, USF hosts my wife's Wisconsin Badgers. So football is back, and we say hello to Matt Baker, our college football writer from the Tampa Bay Times. Matt, I wanted to start with Florida, uh, where it, it seems like the thing is never just the game, right? Um, they've had a number, a number of players dismissed for off-field tr- Trouble. Some say they left on their own, like defensive back John Huggins. What, what's going on right now with Dan Mullen's program? Yeah, I don't know who's more excited for the season to get here and for us to have games to talk about and write about, me or, or Dan Mullen. I mean, <laughs> uh, it, it just it's kind of crazy because everything seemed to go right for Florida last, last year. Not not everything, of course, but it seemed like once the game started, his, his season went very well, outperformed my expectations, and I think most reasonable people's expectations. But since then, 
it's been a really rough off season. I mean, mm-hmm. they've had over the last year or so, they've had five different people involved with the program accused of six different acts of violence or threatening violence against women. Um, all, all five of those individuals are gone, um, but some of them, those departures are going to be key. I mean, the Gators uh, secondary has lost two guys there or three guys, Brian Edwards, John Huggins, and Chris Steele, who was a top recruit in this 2019 class. At least two of them were going to be counted on, I think, this season um, and potentially in that mix to, if not start, be a key contributor. So that's going to play a role this season starting Saturday. And then there's been other stuff, too. I mean, I mentioned Steele, but four other members of the signing class for 2019 are gone without ever playing a meaningful snap. So mm. you know, one of my big questions on Mullen when the Gators hired him, can he recruit at an elite level to compete against Georgia and Bama and Clemson? Well, in February, I would have said I, I think he might. I think he might be able to because he, he had a, a top ten. I think it was a number nine recruiting class in the country. Now you take away the five guys who have you know left for one reason or another, academics, uh, just wanted to transfer, off field stuff. That recruiting class that was ninth now looks like somewhere around seventeen, which is would would have been the Gators' second worst of the rivals era. So, you know, it, it's been just a rough off season for for Mullen and the Gators and. Uh, you know, I'm glad to finally have football to, to write about and, and to watch because that's my, my happy place. But I'm sure Dan and his staff is, too. I, I'm sure he is. Um, and yet it, it seems as if the, the transfer part, I mean, you're always going to have, well, not always, but very often there'll be players who may not make it academically. Uh, where are these players going? If Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They're leaving Florida after committing to them. Mm. Yeah, so the the five the five signees who left, uh, Chris Steele. I've heard conflicting things on why he left. The important thing here for this context is that he left. Um, yeah, he was going to go to Oregon, but he ended up at USC, and he's going to be eligible immediately there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Jones, the blue chip early and early quarterback who was accused of sexual battery, he left and, and is now at Jackson State. And then the other three um, were academic issues who are. In, I think two of them have already gotten on to a JUCO. The third one, I'm not sure if he'll be able to or not. And I guess that doesn't even include a sixth one, uh, Wardrick Wilson, who has, I believe he's from the Bahamas, and there's like a visa issue or something like that. So he's not on campus yet. You know, his status kind of going forward is still up in the air as far as I know. So, yeah, um, certainly there's going to be some attrition in a signing class like you touched on. It's not uncommon at all for one or two guys to not qualify academically. Sometimes the risk is... is or the reward is it's worth the risk. But in this case, you know, a fifth of the guys from Dan's first full recruiting class are already gone, or first mm. full recruiting cycle, I should say, are already gone. And considering Dan, you know, Mullen has made his, uh, his calling card over his career was his development of guys. He could turn a three-star and get him playing like a four-star or a five-star. So now five guys that he had invested resources in and the program had invested resources in, um, he won't get the chance to develop him, and that's going to hurt. You know, it's going to hurt a little bit this season, but really, that's a long-term issue. Where I wonder just where how things shake out. You know, and I guess I should say too, 
the transfer portals make this this easier to patch than it was in the past because you can bring in a guy like Brenton Cox, the five-star outside linebacker from, from Georgia. You can do something like that to patch it. But this is the whole a problem that could show itself in the coming years. In the meantime, uh, everybody seems to like the Gators. They're ranked eighth in the AP poll, and I think uh, maybe a lot of that or some of that has to do with the return of their quarterback, Felipe Franks. You've talked to Mullen, who says this guy has improved, uh, Matt. How, do, how does he think he's better now? Yeah, he's, he said he's better certainly with his accuracy, which is when you're looking at what Felipe did last year. You know, his accuracy, I think it was his completion percentage was like 76 in the country or something like that. So he had a, a, a very fine season last year, no question. But there were definitely ways to improve, and accuracy was one of them. A lot of that yeah. came down to not just the way he threw it or how he threw it, but making the right reads quickly enough to see that this guy's open rather than mm. seeing it a split second later when now the defensive back has closed the gap, that sort of stuff. Um, but the other thing is, is leadership. You know, One of the most I think interesting things Mullen has said here in the last couple of weeks, is that he didn't really have any alpha dogs on this team. Uh, you know, the leadership, mm-hmm. there, there was some last year, but this year there seems like there's kind of an opening there for, for a you know, just a, a dog to stand up and, and be the leader in the locker room. And you know, Dan kind of said the other day that Felipe's made strides in that regard um, to, to be the leader that the, the team needs going forward. Uh, we saw it last year, some of his demonstrations after touchdowns and whatnot, and now he has the game to go with it. Miami has a new coach, and coaching in Miami is always a big story, as you know, uh, Matt. But Manny Diaz comes in there. He's a defensive guy. Um, I guess he has a pretty good history that you'll be writing about with Dan Mullen. Yeah. uh, So I think this is kind of one of the more interesting things. It's not just that Dan hired him twice and and to be on his staff in 2010 and 2015 at at, uh, Mississippi State. But here's here's the backstory that I'll be writing about uh, this weekend in the Tampa Bay Times and, and online at tampabay.com. Um, so Dan was in his first year at Mississippi State, first-time head coach, and they played a random October non-conference game at Middle Tennessee State. Couldn't have been any more boring-sounding. Um, but, you know, Dan, as they were getting ready, was really impressed by this def- defensive coordinator he was going up against. Literally never heard of the guy named Manny Diaz. Never had no idea who he was. But he was doing all these exotic things. I mean, I, I was able to get a copy of the game film, and I'm watching it. Just on one random second down play, the, the safety comes up to the defensive line. The linebacker drops back to safety. They look like they're going to switch back, but they don't. The safety mm. blitzes off the edge. Then on the other side of the field, a linebacker blitzes, and a middle linebacker comes up the middle uh, on a delayed blitz. Just on one random second down play in a, what ended up being a pretty meaningless game. Um, that's mm. the kind of stuff that Manny was doing because he had to think outside the box because he didn't have the talent level. And that, and plus the, the the energy that Manny Diaz had on the sidelines, Dan Mullen was really impressed and said, oh, well, I kind of like this guy. Let's, let's put him on the list if we ever have an opening. Well, sure enough, that offseason, uh, Dan's defensive coordinator left for Kansas because that was apparently a destination job or a good job to have at the time. Um, so he left for Kansas, needed a defensive coordinator, brings in Manny Diaz, interviews him, likes him, hires him, and then hires him again a couple years later. And now here we are and, you know, uh, 10 years after their first meeting, they're getting ready to go up against each other again at uh, major programs in Orlando. That's fascinating how, you know, guys uh, interact like that on the, on the field and remember, um, you know, who are, they find out quickly who are the good coaches and, and now they're going to oppose each other. If you're talking about Miami, you're always talking about the Miami quarterback, right? They have a great legacy, a great history at that position. And it looked like uh, for all the world that uh, 
you know, take this quarterback Tate Martell was gonna, was going to be the guy, and now they've moved him to receiver. But I guess the starter on next uh, on Saturday is going to be uh, Jaron Williams. What do we know about him? Yeah, it's <laughs> this is one of those things where uh, you know shows what the media knows, right? Um, I would have picked if I was picking the you know handicapping the race at, at quarterback for Miami. I would have said Tate Martell would have been the most likely guy, Ohio State transfer, um, extremely talented. It's kind of been all over the place, it seems, committed mm-hmm. to a bunch of different schools and then he transfers. And, but anyway, extremely talented. I thought he would be the guy. If not him, I thought Nikosi Perry, who started, I believe, the six sure. games for the Canes last year, showed some flashes, and maybe you thought he'd mm-hmm. put everything together. And, and I would have ranked Jaron Williams, the redshirt freshman third. Um, Williams got a, you know, I think he threw three whole passes last year against Savannah State, and that was it. But lo and behold, shows you what I know. Jaron Williams is a starter. I mean, he's, he's extremely talented. I mean, he was a four-star guy, uh, one of the top kind of pro-style quarterbacks in, in Mark Rick's uh, you know, last full class there at Miami. And Rick, I believe, knows a thing or two about identifying quarterback talent, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, watching him in practice when I was down there at media day, he throws the ball nice. It's a little unconventional motion. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But it's a nice spiral. It gets where it needs to go. Um, he's athletic enough, maybe a little bit underrated in, in his ability to run. Not quite the runner the way Tate Martell would have been. But he can throw the ball. And, um, you know, it, he's got some good weapons there uh, around him. And K.J. Osborne's an NFL caliber receiver. The Buffalo transfer. Jeff Thomas is an explosive player at receiver, too. So he's got some weapons there. And we'll see if they can bail him out uh, Saturday against the Gators. I will ask you to put on your, uh, your headgear as the Corso does, and tell me, who do you see Who do you see winning this game on Saturday? Well, let's first talk about college game day, because they're going to oh, be... Oh, that's right. They're going to be at the Magic Kingdom. Um, what is the best headgear Corso could put on? Like, would Disney let him put on a Mickey Mouse head? Surely not, right? I probably not. I mean, the Oregon Duck looks a lot like like Donald. I, let's, let's be honest. There's not much difference there. Um, yeah. You know the uh, the one thing about this game day, uh, Matt, and I don't know how you feel about it. It's it's not it doesn't it's not going to feel like game day in that they're not allowing any signs behind Correct. the guys. Which and it, as Tom Jones that. says, can I bring my hands? I have a sign for you, but um, <laughs> but you, you're but throwing I mean, up to you. Is that what you're saying here? That yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm sure that's what he meant. Um, <laughs> but when. <laughs> It's it's just going to be an odd atmosphere. I mean, I, I guess you got to buy a ticket to get into the park and all that. I'm sure there'll be a ton of people, but a little different college game day flavor. Yeah, definitely. And if you know, we've got. I, I have a toddler. We have annual passes to Disney World. That's one of the best investments we made to, to see. You know, the, oh, my two year old riding the rides and hands in the air, wanting to do it again. So mm-hmm. I'd be lying if I said I haven't thought about going over there for it and then doing the game. But I also don't mm-hmm. want to work like a 50-hour day. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. sorry, you asked me about football. Who do I think was going to win? Was that, was Who's going to win this here? game? Who's yeah. gonna, who do you got? <laughs> who do you like? Um, I, I, I saw both these teams in the spring game. You know, you only take a little bit from that. But I left thinking Florida was 10 points better than Miami. Um, mm-hmm. Since then, there's been, again, there's been a lot of attrition on the Gator side, particularly in the secondary there's a lot of talent there, no question. I mean, C.J. Henderson's a, a first-round talent. Marco Wilson, the other cornerback for Florida, is really, really good. Although he's coming off an ACL, so I, some of the, and there's just not much talent behind them. So, or not much depth behind them. So, if there's an injury or somebody gets ejected for targeting or something like that, it could go south. Um, mm. So, I, I say that to say, I still think Florida's the better team. 
Um, but I, I had it, you know, in my head it was a ten point game. Now I think it's probably Florida by a touchdown. Um, there, I, I have questions, obviously, about quarterback at Miami. Your first time starter playing his first game against a good to very good defense, very talented secondary. First time head coach going up against a guy who's been doing this for quite some time. Kind of put all those things together, and, and Florida by a touchdown feels about right to me. I, I do think it'll be kind of an ugly game. Um, both teams' offensive lines are not – offensive line's not the strength for either team, but both teams have good enough defenses, and Miami's front is still going to be really nasty. So I, I don't think it's going to be high scoring, but I think Florida in like a 24-17, something like that. Now that, that sounds about right. You know, depending on how they play, Matt, and we'll get off this game in just a second, but I, I think that in some ways being the first game, that, that puts both programs sort of back on a national stage, not that they've really left it for very long. But this, this is an opportunity for both of these programs, right, if they come out and they look good? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, there's no other marquee game this weekend. I mean, I think the other one's Arizona-Hawaii. You know, I, I love mm-hmm. me some Khalil Tate, and I'm curious to see how he does if he stays healthy and everything. Um, but, yeah, that doesn't have the, the, the sizzle that, that Florida-Miami does. So this is a huge chance for, for both programs to, to try and, uh, you know, prove that they're back or getting back to where they used to be. And that's why, you know, both programs agreed to move this up a week because it it's kind of screwed up a lot of things when you think about it. You know, the, the players, because they had to play a week earlier they all had to report to camp a week earlier they all had one week less of the off season one week less of summer you know tickets had already been bought hotels had already been booked all that stuff for people when they moved us so in a lot of ways it, it inconvenienced some people but the opportunity to be on this national stage that they have by themselves kicking off the 150th anniversary of college football was uh, too much for both programs to pass up uh, pretty cool let's stay in the sec just for a minute Matt, you wrote a really interesting story that people can read on TampaBay.com about uh, the University of Georgia and, and their rise under Kirby Smart. But it's come at the expense of football in the state of Florida. Explain that. Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on here. Um, obviously, Georgia getting better, the, the, the dogs as a program, has hurt Florida because Georgia has thumped uh, the Gators each of the last two years in Jacksonville. I don't think that gap has shrunk. So, I, you know, as we sit here today, I don't. I feel pretty confident about Georgia winning that and winning the East again and maybe going further than that. But one of the reasons why that's happening is because Georgia high school fo- football has gotten a lot better at the expense of Florida high school football. I mean, Georgia's mm. paying their coaches a ton of money. According to uh, mm. First Coast News up in, I think it's up in Jacksonville, there's 44 high school coaches, at least 44 public school coaches in the state of Georgia who make six figures. I would feel pretty confident right now saying in the state of Florida, there are zero high school football coaches making six figures. It just doesn't right. happen. I mean, the, the, the coaching stipend at the high, the, uh, for the, the coach up in Valdosta is about you know, eight, nine, ten times more than what the coaching stipend is for a coach in Hillsborough County. So mm. it's just eye-popping. And you know, according to, to um, one guy, um, a scout who's been doing this a long time, he's, he's been tracking these numbers, and there's at least 250 coaches, I think it was, who have left Florida high schools to go to Georgia high schools in the last 20 years. So, Goodness. yeah, so there's tons of, I mean, you kind of, you get what you pay for. And if I'm yeah. an, an educator or a coach and I have the opportunity to go to a state that's growing, that really invests in its program, that's putting up indoor practice facilities like USF would kill for, they're doing that at high schools in Georgia. I would absolutely be thinking about doing that if I can make a ton more money, even for coordinators, teachers get paid a lot more. So you add all that stuff up, 
Florida high school, co- you know, Florida high schools are losing out because some of their better coaches are going to Georgia. That in turn is helping the Georgia high school programs put up recruits, you know, put up better recruits, get them ready to play earlier. And as the top wow. dog, terrible pun intended, in the state of Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart is is uh, paying off on that. Where you know, seven of his all SEC honorees in the preseason were homegrown Georgia guys, including Jake Fromm, who's a really really good quarterback, and Andrew Thomas, who's one of the better offensive linemen in the country. It's a terrific story, and and that is true also in the state of Texas. And and you're right, without the the top coaches in Florida, you're not going to have players developed as well and and um, it's really something that uh, you know I'm sure the coaches here would like like to see changed. Florida State begins uh, their season August 31st against uh, Boise State. Why is Willie Taggart uh, so confident? I think it might have something to do with what was a weakness just a year ago. Well he feels better about his offensive line than he did. Um, I'm still a little bit skeptical because I don't think you make a huge jump from one of the worst in recent memory to good in a year. I don't think that happens, but he does have some reasons to be more optimistic. I mean, from an offensive perspective, one of the most important relationships, I guess really on the whole football staff is the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach. They have to be able to see eye to eye and kind of understand each other and what each guy wants to do to, to figure out how to make it work the best. And when you've got an offensive Mm -hmm. Uh, minded head coach like Willie Taggart, then you have to lose him into the mix as well. Um, so looking at kind of where things were last year, Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator, wasn't necessarily familiar with what Willie had done in the past. They, it, it wasn't a perfect match by any means. Then Greg Fry, the offensive line coach, same deal. He wasn't, it wasn't kind of his, his cup of tea. It wasn't what he had done in the past. So now you, you look at where the, the, the coaching staff is now. Uh, Willie Taggart's Gulf Coast offense was kind of inspired, I guess would be the right word, by what Baylor was running when they had Kendall Bryles, who was the new offensive coordinator at Florida State, and Kendall was doing all that stuff when Randy Clements was his offensive line coach. And now, of course, he is on the Florida State staff too. So certainly the continuity there um, right. is a reason for offense. I'm, I'm pumping the brakes. I'm not I'm not buying it yet. I want to see how they look against Boise first. You know, Boise has got a really good defensive front. They're, they're going to test them early and often in, in Jacksonville and uh, you know, what are we, 10 days away from that one? Um, but I do think Willie is optimistic that things will get better. And even a little bit of improvement, even getting up to, I don't say this facetiously, even getting up to bad is an improvement for this Florida State offensive line. So we'll see if they can do that. The Boise will be a nice tough uh, test for them to start the season. Okay, the Bulls uh, host Wisconsin. That's a week from Friday at Raymond James Stadium again sort of a national exposure before uh, the first, you know, full week of college football, college football game day. Um, why is there so much optimism at USF? I mean, there, there's probably a lot of reasons for it, but just give me two or three. <sighs> I'm not hugely optimistic on them, so you're asking me to play devil's advocate here. Well, you can't. I mean, I I just keep reading about how. I mean, I, look, I like Charlie Strong. Um, you know, I, I do too. They collapse. They collapsed last year. You know, losing six in a row. Um, and and yet, you know, they do have Blake Barnett back. I would think Kerwin Bell has a big piece of this. But there just seems to be, you know, as I listen to, uh, to the sound bites and and, and what I'm hearing from USF is that they they really think they they're going to have an exceptional year. Well, this is this is still August and. Hope I know. Springs Eternal True. or, or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, right, um, right. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not down on the Bulls. I don't 
want to get people fired up in me yet. Let's have some oh, games fired first. Up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want to add fuel to the fire, Rick. Let's wait till things actually happen. Um, so I guess I'm. What I say if, if I were trying to be put on a super optimistic hat, Blake Barnett's a really good quarterback. I mean, he was extremely talented in high school. There's a reason he went to Bama and was going to be the starter. Um, him actually having a little bit of continuity now in the same school with the same head coach. He's an NFL caliber arm. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be a first round pick or anything like that, but he absolutely has NFL potential, I think, to, to get a shot somewhere. So when you've got a really good quarterback, that's a heck of a place to start. Um, th- there's definitely some talent around him. You know, I really like Jordan Cronkright uh, when I got to see a little bit of him in his first year at Florida. Had some flashes of success last year, of course, as well at, at USF. So when you've got a really good running back and a really good quarterback, that's a very nice place to start. And I, and I think you're right, too, on, on Kerwin Bell. You know, you don't I, don't I don't care what level you're at. Winning a championship is really hard. And he did that at, at Valdosta State with, with some of the offenses that he was putting up. They were putting up ridiculous numbers. So, yeah, there's certainly some reasons to be optimistic. Um, the fact, too, that you know, the AAC is not great. You know, UCF and Memphis and Cincinnati are, are pretty darn good, but I don't, you know, the, I don't know how strong the middle tier is. Um, the problem is Wisconsin, I think, is a pretty good team uh, to, to, to open against um, in, in week one. And Jonathan Taylor's got a legit chance at breaking the NCAA's all-time leading rushing, uh, you know, become the NCAA's all-time leading rusher. So that's a, a really rough one out of the gate, but going forward, yeah, I, I think the polls can be pretty decent. How, how's that? That was good for trying to be optimistic. <laughs> I, what, what, I mean, they're going to have to stop Taylor, obviously. Is that, that's probably the only way they, they, they pull this upset off, right? I don't know how well they can. Um, I, I think to some degree, if they can get them into passing situations and, and do well enough there, you know, try and keep Taylor to two and three yards rather than getting five and six. Because, you know, I, I saw Taylor in the Orange Bowl in person against Miami. What, what impressed me is just the way that he... You look like, oh, that looks like a three-yard run, and then it was six yards. It looked like about two yards, and it was seven yards. That type of thing where he'd make, there wasn't like a lot of home runs there. It wasn't a lot of, you know, Dalvin Cook spins and anything like that. It was just really, really solid um, churning out the yardage. So if they can kind of limit him a little bit and and make Wisconsin throw the ball with with some, you know, maybe not quite as experienced uh, passing, um, and that's that's certainly a, a chance to, for for success, and, and I think as, as Joey wrote about, they need it to be to be warm and toasty too. Yeah, that would certainly help. You know, uh, the Badgers will bring a lot of people. It'll be should be a good atmosphere at least over there. But you see plenty of Badger fans. Okay, your top twenty five is out, Matt. Give me the highlights. I see the, uh, maybe right off the top, you've got Central Florida in there. <laughs> I do uh, about twenty spots lower than I think where the Knights would like to be. Um, but yeah, I, I've got I've got questions on on UCF. Um, I, I've got him at twenty four, I think it is. And the reason why I'm a little bit lower on them than most is the quarterback. You typically don't lose a an all time great quarterback as UCF did with McKenzie Milton's, obviously one of the best players they've ever had, and get better or, or stay the same. There's usually a drop off. And then the fact too that Mac, their number two quarterback is is banged up with an ankle injury and i think it's ankle um so the, their presumptive starter is going to be brandon wimbush a grad transfer from notre dame that he's you know, been a lot of those grad transfers from notre dame down here the last couple of years uh i think on the scale of malik sayer who struggled at florida to everett golson who was pretty decent at fsu 
I think this this Brandon Wimbush, I think he's more on the Malik Zaire um, situation where it's not quite as good and the offense takes a step back and the defense isn't good enough to make up for it. So, yeah, I've got UCF on there at 24. Um, Texas, I'm lower on than I think anybody else, any other voter. I've, I've got the Longhorns at 22. Uh, obviously, they had a fine year last year, you know, went to the Sugar Bowl, beat Georgia, uh, beat Oklahoma and Red River. But uh, some of the games, too, they, they played uh, they played down to their competition. Some close wins that kind of come back to get you later on. And the advanced metrics aren't particularly high in the horns because of that. So I kind of put that into consideration. Um, but kind of on the flip side of that, I'm higher on LSU than just about anybody in the country. I mean... I think the Tigers have a great defense, chance to have maybe the best defense in the country. Grant Delpit, I wrote about him a couple weeks ago at SEC Media Days. He's the new, this year's kind of Derwin James, uh, sorry Bucks fans, uh, do-it-all defender in, in the backfield. So I, th- I think you add him and, and everybody else in there, plus an, an experienced uh, veteran quarterback in Joe Burrows. I think LSU is, has a ton of potential. Again, I don't know, know that they're, they're going to finish number four in the country, but I certainly think they're one of the top five most talented teams in the country. That LSU-Florida game will be a big one for the Gators, and uh, they got a big one, of course, on Saturday, college game day in Orlando, Florida playing Miami. And Matt Baker, you can read about all of that before, during, and after the game on TampaBay.com. Matt, thanks so much. It's going to be a great college football season. I'm so glad you're back. Me too. Thanks, Rick. Wow, we got football. Football that matters this weekend. It counts in the standings. On top of that. Oh, can you imagine? That's terrific. It's uh, Gators, Hurricanes in Orlando, college game day on Saturday. I love waking up Saturday morning and there's game day, even though they don't have any signs at this one and it is Disney. We'll, we'll, we'll look past that, but uh, thank goodness. And then, of course, next Friday you got Wisconsin at USF. So we are we are here. It is it is happening? It is real. Your wait is over. Your long nightmare. Your long your long winter or summer, I guess, is over. And and now we can start playing some football that matters. But there is still a game that doesn't really count in the standings. I think it still matters, and that's the Bucks getting ready for their uh, game against Cleveland Friday night. They'll have their pra- final practice today. There is no media availability, um, but I will have uh, a story in the Tampa Bay Times nonetheless. You can always check out the updates there on TampaBay.com. Uh, my buddy cop, Eddie in the Yard, Eduardo Encina, and myself are going to preview that game for you on Friday's podcast. And the Rays are in Baltimore, as I mentioned uh, earlier, and it's going to be Ryan Yarbrough on the mound for the Rays. So that's uh, a guy that's been filling in nicely as a starter, and right now the starting pitching, of course, with the injuries they have to Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now, uh, Yarbrough has been terrific for them. So we'll see if he can keep that going in Baltimore. Now, remember, folks, I know that uh, those electric bills are still going up. Let me offer you an alternative here. Call my good friends at May Electric Solar. Um, you know, if you do that now, you can save 90 to 95% off your electric bill. And they've also got a special running that you can get a 30% tax credit through 2019 just by changing to solar energy. So call the real May Electric at 727 819 2862. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.